please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Thessalonians chapter 4, and we are really just going to be looking at verses 1 and 2 this morning. Uh, but as we come to 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, we are reaching a transition point in the book of Thessalonians. So for the first three chapters, uh, the Apostle Paul has been reflecting on his ministry uh, among the Thessalonians, uh, thanking God for them, uh, for how the gospel took root and how they served as a as a testimony to the surrounding churches of their, of their repentance and, and faith and how they turned from idols to God. So Paul is, is, has been reflecting and, and, and thanking uh, God for them, but he's also been commending them. Because you'll remember Timothy has, has brought back uh, a report of how the Thessalonians are doing and how they're standing firm in the midst of persecution, unmoved by the sufferings and persecutions they were facing. But now we come to chapter 4, and in chapter 4, Paul begins to give them instructions in some areas where they need to grow in their their spiritual lives. So in chapter 4, there are three primary ways that that stand out to us uh, in in which they needed instruction. The first we see in verses 3 through 8 in in regards to their sexual purity. In verse 3 he says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And he goes on to to unpack what uh, what that looks like. The the second area is in their love for one another, which is in verses 9 and 10, where he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. But he goes on to say, But but even though you're doing well, I want you to excel still, still more. And then the third area is found in verses 11 and 12, which is really this idea of their need to work quietly uh, with a good testimony toward outsiders. And we find that in verse 11 and 12, as he says here, to tell them aspire to live quietly, to mind their own affairs, to work with their hands so that they may pro- walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So he's, he's walking into this area where he's going to give them instructions. But what we have before he gives these instructions in verses 1 and 2 is something of an introduction. The more general call, we might say, that these believers would walk in a way that pleases the Lord. And then he goes on to describe three different areas in which they need to grow in terms of pleasing the Lord. But this morning we're just going to cover verses 1 and 2 that serve as the introduction. And the reason we're going to do that is because if we were to go from verse 1 all the way to verse number 8, we're supposed to also take the Lord's Supper this morning, and we wouldn't get to it until then, supper time. All right, so we'll just do do verses 1 and 2, the introduction this morning. So let's read verses 1 and 2, and then we'll pray together and ask God's blessing on, on our study. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. 
Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Our Father, we're in need of your grace this morning as we consider this text. To understand it is is not difficult, but to, to live it is extremely difficult. We can't do it in our own strength or our own ability, but it's only by your work in our lives that enables us to to live in a way that pleases you. So Lord, help us to to grasp this passage this morning, to understand the all-consuming nature of of bringing every aspect of our life into line with, with your will and your desires for us so that it can be said of us that we walk in a way that pleases you. So help us, we pray, in Christ's name, amen. Well, if you could remember back with me, way back to the year 2020. Does everybody remember that year? All right. We were all uh, locked down uh, for two weeks as we were doing our part to, quote-unquote, flatten the curve. And during that time, there wasn't much to do. Uh, You could go to the grocery store. You could go to the park. uh, But other than that, there wasn't a whole lot to do. So... So our family, we developed this, this one particular activity. We would, we would go for a drive, all right? And what we would do is we would we'd all, us and the kids, we, we'd cram into the van, and we would uh, turn the Disney music on, and we would just pull out of our driveway with no, with no point or purpose on where we were going. We are just going to drive to look at houses and look at scenery and, and do things like that. And we would do that until, like, one of the boys got tired of it, started crying, and then just, you know, we was like, oh, yeah, that was, it was time to go home. Or we would go through the Culver's drive-thru and then go home because Culver's was deemed essential at the time, so it was open. I think we can all agree Culver's is essential, all right? So, um, so we would go home, and, and, uh, and that would be the, the, the conclusion of our activity. Now, what was quite unique about this activity is never before did we get in the car and just aimlessly drive. Okay, we're not senior citizens with a Florida license plate, okay? So we, we, would, we, we typically have a purpose and a mission to our transportation. But in this case, it was different. We would, we would just get in the car, and we would drive sort of aimlessly around until we had enough, and then we would come home. And the reason I tell you this is not to encourage this kind of activity because it would be triple the cost now to do it as it was back in 2020. But the reason I tell you this is because uh, it, it relates to the way we often live our Christian lives. That is, we've turned to Christ for forgiveness, and we generally we want, we want, to, we want to do what's right, and we want to be known to live in a way that glorifies God. But if we truly evaluated the direction of our lives, the, the decisions we make, the, the way we spend our time, the, the media we consume, the way we respond in, in various situations and, and, and activities, it would reveal that much of our Christian life is quite without purpose and aim. We can be found sort of wandering around with no direction in our walk with Christ. 
But when we read the scriptures, that's not what we find is to be the direction of the believer. In fact, what we're going to find in this passage and what we find in other passages is that the aim of every believer is to walk in a way that pleases the Lord. And I use the word aim because that's the word Paul uses from our scripture reading in 2 Corinthians 5 when he says, so whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please the Lord. You might remember his prayer in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. He says, And so from the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Okay, so this is the aim, or is to be the aim, of, of all who profess to know Christ. So, we don't want to be caught living our Christian life sort of aimlessly and purposely. We want to be purposeful and intentional in the way we live so that every manner of our life is brought into line and has this desire of pleasing the Lord in all that we do. Now, as we come to this passage here in 1 Thessalonians, in the weeks to come, we're going to look at the specific areas where the Thessalonians needed instruction in pleasing the Lord. But this morning, we'll just focus on one, verses 1 and 2 and to, to note how it is we are to walk in a manner that pleases the Lord. Now, before we get into this passage in verses 1 and 2, I think it's important to give something of a clarification. And that is that pleasing the Lord is not something that you and I can do in and of ourselves or in our own ability or strength. First, in order to please the Lord, we must have a relationship with Him. We must recognize first that we are sinners and come to Him in repentance and faith and, and enter into this relationship with, with the Lord. For we're told in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 8, that those who are in the flesh, in other words, those who don't have a relationship with the Lord, cannot please God. So we must come to, to the Lord in, in a saving relationship. But even then, when we've already come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we still can't please the Lord in and of our own ability. It's God's grace and work in us that enables us to please Him. So just listen to the way the author of Hebrews puts it in his benediction as he, and what he says about pleasing the Lord. He says this, Now may the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. So it's, it's the God of peace who is at work in us to enable us to please Him. So we see then, and if we're going to fulfill the requirements of, of 1 Thessalonians 4 and 2, 4, 4 verses 1 and 2, it's only going to happen if God's grace is at work in our hearts to cause it to happen. Okay, now that's something of an introduction. Now let's get to uh, our passage here in verses 1 and 2. And we're going to walk through this passage. We'll consider six points this morning. Uh, regarding this exhortation that Paul gives. First, what I want you to notice is the nature of the exhortation. Okay, the nature of the exhortation. Now, at first glance, it might seem from our English translation that Paul is making a simple request of these believers. Notice what he says in verse 1. He says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you. In other words, it might seem like Paul's saying, 
you know, guys, if you don't mind, I'd like to, to ask you and give you a little bit of encouragement to, to live in a way that pleases the Lord. But I, I know you've got a lot of going on, and I don't want to seem pushy or legalistic, so I just want to ask this, this one thing of you. But when we examine Paul's words further, we, we see that they're actually stronger than a mere request that they please the Lord. Okay, the word ask here could also be the word beseech. And the word urge here is, a, is an appropriate translation in this context. What Paul's doing is he's pleading and urging these believers that they give their energy to this activity of, of bringing their entire life into line with, with pleasing the Lord. So the, the, the nature of this, this exhortation is much like a, a coach pleading and urging his, his players in order to get the best out of them. Okay, that's the exhortation that Paul is, is giving here. Pleading and urging that these believers would walk in a way that pleases the Lord. Now notice, secondly, the authority for the exhortation. Okay, notice two times he says in this exhortation, he says these words, in or through the Lord Jesus. So notice them in, in verse 1, he says this, he says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus. And then in verse 2, he says, for you know that what, our, what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Okay, what Paul's doing here is he's showing that, that this exhortation that he's giving does not come from him alone, but it comes from a, a greater authority who has the authority to command believers to live in a way that pleases him. I'm sort of reminded of, of, of this, of, of, of my childhood, when from time to time my sister, my older sister, would be responsible to, to babysit myself and, and our younger siblings. And my brother and I, we were not always kind uh, to our old sister, older sister in those moments. She, at this point, is maybe about five foot, five foot two, maybe. But at that time, she could still bring us into submission by physical force. And so it would be necessary for my brother and I to, to team up on her if we were going to be successful. Now, that's neither here nor there, but that's usually what would happen when my sister w- would watch us. But while watching us, my sister could give us instructions could tell us what to do and give certain expectations, you know, demand certain things from us and have expectations because she had been given the authority to do so from my, my parents. Now, in a sense, this is what Paul is saying here. He says, I give this, I ask and I urge you in and through the Lord Jesus. In other words, this, this isn't my command, but rather this is the Lord's command for all those who are followers of Jesus Christ, that we live in a way that pleases the Lord. Now, one thing that's interesting in this passage is that throughout the whole passage, the Apostle Paul is, he keeps the Lord's authority forefront in the minds of these believers. Okay, notice this in verses 3 and following. So in verse 3, he says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Okay, so he's putting the authority of God up, up front on display here. It, this is God's desire for you. He goes on in verse 6 to say that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, and he gives the, the, the authority of the Lord again here, because, he says, the Lord is an avenger in all these things. In verse 7, he says, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. 
And then in verse 8, he says, Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Okay, so, so what Paul's doing here in this passage, as he gives them exhortation, he's showing that these commands are not from him or him alone, but they are ultimately from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has been given all authority by God. Now, as we consider this exhortation, it's good for us to be reminded that what we're called to as believers comes from the commands of our Lord and Savior. Like, it's not just my ideas this morning that that we should live in a way that pleases the Lord, or even the Apostle Paul as a human being, that he has the idea that we should live in a way that pleases the Lord. This is coming from the authority of the Lord. And when we hear that, it, it should carry a certain weight to it. That our duty as believers is to live in a manner that is pleasing to God. And so that should weigh more heavily on us than if it's just the commands of a man. Thirdly, in this passage, we see the preparation for this exhortation. Okay, notice that that Paul says that these commands are not new to the Thessalonian believers, right? In verse 1, he says this. He says, you received, that's past tense, you received from us how you ought to walk. And in verse 2, he says, you know what instructions we gave you past tense again. So this call to please the Lord was not something new for the Thessalonians. Rather, it was something that Paul had established when he was with them, ministering with them, that the expectation on them was that they live in a way that pleases the Lord. Now what we learn here is this, that as Paul arrived and and ministered in Thessalonica, and as he shared the gospel of Christ with these believers— that he didn't only preach a gospel of forgiveness, but he preached a gospel that has implications for the way we live. Okay, to put it in the words of, of Martin Luther, Luther said, we're justified by faith alone, but the faith that justifies is never alone. Rather, it produces good works. So the gospel that we preach not only frees us from sin's penalty, but it frees us from sin's power and has implications for the way we live. You remember the old hymn, Rock of Ages, cleft for me? There's the line in that hymn that says this, Be of sin the double cure, saved from wrath and make me pure. That when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, we're saved from the wrath of God that is deserved on, on our sins, but we're also, we're also um, we also have the, the power of the gospel in our lives to make us pure, to enable us to live in a way that pleases Him, okay? to, to enable us to walk in sanctification. So, so the gospel, it, it transforms our, our lives in such a way that, that we're not just forgiven, but we're also called to live in a way that pleases the Lord. And not only are we called to live in a way that pleases the Lord, we're also equipped by the work of God's grace, to live in a way that pleases the Lord. Now, I think sometimes that in our effort to make the gospel appealing to non-believers, we, almost, we, we emphasize almost exclusively a gospel of, of forgiveness or a gospel of justification. 
Like if you only believe, you will be forgiven of your sins and, and you'll, you'll, you'll experience all the blessings and benefits of, of being a Christian. But sometimes we don't tell people the other side that what it really is too is, is it has implications. Your life is going to change. You're now called to live in a way that, that, that pleases the Lord. You're called to take up your cross and, and, and follow Him. Now this problem doesn't come from an overemphasis on justification or an overemphasis on forgiveness because you can never overemphasize justification and you can never emphasize, overemphasize forgiveness. But sometimes you can emphasize justification exclusively to the neglect of sanctification. But the gospel not only saves us, but also has implications for our lives. And so as Paul comes here and, and he ministers the gospel, he, 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 he preaches forgiveness, but he also has told them and exhorted them that they are to live in a way that pleases the Lord. That their life is, is not their own, they've been bought with a price, and that they are to glorify Christ. And as you and I seek to, to share the gospel with, with people who don't know Christ, it's both the gospel and the implications that need to be taught. That, that if you turn to Christ and believe in him, you will be forgiven. But that God transforms our life at that point, and the expectation then is that we live in a way that pleases him. Well, that brings us, fourthly, to the content of the exhortation. Okay, now we get into the actual meat of what Paul says. Okay, he calls the Thessalonians, and he says this, how they are to walk, and he says this expression, and to please the Lord. Now, now what does it mean to walk in a way that pleases the Lord? Well, the term walk, and you're familiar with this, it's really just a simple term that describes our Christian life. Okay? Our walk could encompass the way in which we live as, as believers in the Lord. So the NIV actually translates this as how you are to live instead of how you are to walk because of the meaning of the word walk, just meaning how you are to live. If you look down at verses 11 and 12, Paul uses this word walk in a specific way. In verse 11, he says, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So in this case, the walk is, is how they mind their own affairs, how they work with their hands. All of this is, involves their, their, Christian, their Christian walk. So our walk is synonymous with the way that we live. But what about the phrase, please God? What does it mean, what does it look like for you and for me to please God? Well, I think in answering that question, we'll be surprised at the all-encompassing nature of what it means to please the Lord. So this week what I did was I, I did a search on all of the passages in the New Testament that, that refer to the believer's responsibility to please the Lord. And I was actually surprised at the, 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 the varied ways in which activities that please the Lord are, are mentioned or, or described. So let me, just, uh, read, let me just read five of them for you, and I think you'll be equally surprised. Okay, so Colossians chapter 3, verse 20 says this, 
Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Okay, so one of the things it means to, to, when we're called to walk in a way that pleases the Lord, that involves obedience of children to their parents. Okay, so, so children, as you submit yourselves to the authorities that God has placed in your lives, and you do so respectfully and obediently, you are walking in a way that pleases the Lord. Another passage that Paul uses here is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16. He says this, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So, so as believers are generous with what God has given them, and they don't neglect to do good and to share what they have, as they're generous... Well, that's described as being a sacrifice that is pleasing to the Lord. In fact, Philippians chapter 4.18 says something similar about our generosity. Remember, the Philippians had given Paul uh, much support for his his work in, in spreading the gospel, and then Paul's thanking them, and he says this, I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, and he says this, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So as the Philippians shared their resources with Paul for the sake of the gospel, this was something that was described as being pleasing to the Lord. So as you and I are are generous with what the Lord has given us, and we use it in a way that pleases Him, well, it brings Him glory and honor. Two more passages. 1 Thessalonians, or excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 2, in verses 1 through 3, you'll remember this passage. He says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And he says this, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Isn't that interesting? As we pray, and as we pray for our governing officials, and the authorities that the Lord has, has put in charge of us, with the desire that we live a quiet and, and peaceful life, as we pray for them, the Apostle Paul says, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So here we have our prayer life uh, being a, a way in which we walk in a manner that pleases the Lord. One more verse. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 4. It says this, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So if the Lord uh, providentially brings you to a circumstance where your task is to to take care of elderly parents or grandparents or, or, or elderly family. This is a, a, a task that the Lord puts on you and, and says that this is a good thing you do. But as you do so, as you care for them, it's described in First Timothy 4 as being something that is pleasing in the sight of God. Okay, so if we come to First Thessalonians 4... And Paul says, you've got to walk in a way that pleases the Lord. 
Okay, and we ask this question, well, what does it look like for me to please the Lord? Well, we see that it, it, it's, it's all-consuming. It involves obedience to parents. It involves care for elderly parents. It involves prayer for governing officials. It involves generosity with what the Lord has given us. That the, the, the ways in which we please the Lord are all-consuming. But I think one of the problems we often have is that we compartmentalize. Right? When it comes to pleasing the Lord, it's like, okay, well, that means like our, our, my prayer life, my, my Bible reading, and my faithfulness to church. And it's like that particular realm, I want to please the Lord, you know, particularly on Sunday, I want, I want to please the Lord. But Monday through Saturday, well, I guess it's really up to me and, and what I want to do. But what we see here is that pleasing the Lord involves every aspect of our life. We want every part of our life to be brought into this, this realm of, of being pleasing to God. So we shouldn't think about pleasing the Lord in just limited categories, but rather think about it as every square inch of our life. Now look at, fifthly here, we see the necessity of the exhortation. The necessity of the exhortation. Okay, so... So Paul says that, Paul's going to show us here that, that pleasing the Lord is not something that is optional for believers, rather it is mandatory. Notice one word in this verse, he says in verse 1, you received from us how you ought to walk and to please the Lord. Now that word ought is stating an obligation that believers have. So if you're a believer here this morning, you are obligated to live in a way that pleases the Lord. Now something I find very interesting about this passage is the context in which it is, it is written, or the larger context of, of 1 Thessalonians. And I think this is extremely important for us, okay? Remember what these believers were going through in Thessalonica. From day one, they had faced persecution and sufferings for the cause of Christ. And this is well documented, like back in chapter 3 and verse 2, when he says, and we sent Timothy, our brother, God's co-worker in the gospel, to establish and exhort you that, that, that no one would be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this, Paul says. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that, that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass, just as you know. Okay, so they're, they're facing incredible persecution, more persecution than, than probably you and I have ever faced. And in that persecution, Paul could have, Paul could have taken it easy on them. He could have relaxed the standard a little bit. Like, listen, I know you guys are facing a lot of persecution, so I'm not going to press in on this whole pleasing the Lord thing. But the fact that they were suffering does not change the oughtness of Paul's expectation. Suffering or not, the expectation was that they would continue to live in a way that pleased the Lord. No exceptions, no excuses. Now, why is that helpful? Well, because it teaches us this, 
that our circumstances are never an excuse to keep us from doing what is right. How many times do you and I think or say, I know this is wrong, but given the circumstances, I don't really have a choice. But what we learn here is that our aim is to please the Lord no matter what life's circumstances we find ourselves in. No matter what persecutions we may face or what hardships we're in or, or what temptations we're facing, this is an obligation that is to be pressed on the heart of every believer that we are to live in a way that pleases the Lord regardless of the circumstances. And lastly, we see the ongoing nature of this exhortation. And this is actually fascinating, the, the way this passage moves, right? So it says, he says, you're to, to walk in a way that pleases the Lord, and he says this, just as you are doing, that you do so more. Right? So that's, that's staggering, because Timothy brings back this great report. Paul's extremely encouraged. And in and, and all their afflictions, they had a powerful testimony of following Christ. They're living in a way that pleases the Lord. And Paul says, okay, I want to urge you to do this. I want to urge you to live in a way that pleases the Lord. And I know that you're already doing this. You're doing an incredible job. But I want you to do so more. So this exhortation and this encouragement here to to please the Lord, it never ends, this side of glory. And and it's, it's no matter how well we're doing in this particular area, we never arrive fully at at pleasing the Lord in the way that we live. And it's like until glory, there is this carrot that hangs out ahead of us that we're to pursue until the Lord returns. That we do so more and more. That we abound in pleasing the Lord. So, brothers and sisters, if we profess Christ this morning, this is our aim. No matter the circumstances, we aim to please the Lord. And that pursuit never runs out. J.C. Ryle said this about God's people. He says, they see only one thing, care for one thing, live for one thing, are swallowed up in one thing, and that one thing is this, to please God. God. Now, inevitably, in a crowd this size, we probably have some who have never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You maybe are, are, are new to hearing the message of Christianity, but it is a beautiful message that we were lost in our sins, in a hostile relationship with God, And because of our sins, we deserve the just condemnation of a holy God. But God, in his goodness and grace, sends his only son to die where we should have died, to take the penalty that we should have paid in order that we might be forgiven. And the way in which we receive this gift of forgiveness is we turn from our sins, we repent before God, And we believe that Jesus Christ and his work is sufficient to restore us to a relationship with God. And if we do that, 
then we enter into this relationship with God. And now, by God's grace, we are able to walk in a way that pleases him. So there might be someone here this morning who doesn't know Christ, who, who doesn't have a relationship with God, and you're unable of, to, incapable of pleasing God. Well, I invite you to turn in repentance and faith this morning. And for the rest of us, well, there are likely numerous areas in our life, our lives, that maybe we're sort of compartmentalizing, where we'll live for God in this way, we'll be pleasing to God in, in this respect, but then outside of that, there are, are areas of our life or pockets of our life that we're just not really bringing into conformity with God and His character. But then we see this morning that no, every area of my life needs to be brought in under this, this concept of pleasing the Lord. So I invite you to think about this this morning. What, what areas of your life are you not bringing into this category of pleasing the Lord? What, what areas of your life are you allowing to sort of your own autonomy or self-pleasing rather than bringing things into submission to God? What changes do you need to make? What do you need to do? What, for what do you need to repent in order that you can say that you walk in a way that pleases the Lord? So let me exhort us this morning. And these are not just my words, but they're based on the authority of Christ, as Paul says, that we make it our aim until Christ comes to live in a way that pleases him. Let's pray together. Father, help us because the struggle is ongoing. The battle is constant to want to please ourselves and live for ourselves. But that is not what you have saved us for. You have saved us to bring you honor and glory and that we might represent you well for our brothers in Christ and before outsiders as well. So help us, Lord, to heed your word this morning.